Two Owensboro brothers, separated in age by 10 years, have formed a bond around a podcast they started called The Criminal Minded. The podcast, hosted by Rodney Newton, largely focuses on older sibling Tony Newton, who spent a large part of his life in and out of prisons, which included a long stint inside Kentucky State Penitentiary in Eddyville, the state's only maximum and supermax prison. We're going to talk with the brothers who are now reconnecting through their podcast. Stay with us. This is Inquire. From the Mission Inquirer, I'm Don Wilkins, and with me are Rodney and Tony Newton, and they have a pretty interesting podcast called The Criminal Minded, and I want to have them on and tell their, and tell their story, and it's, it's pretty interesting. Um, Tony's got a, a, a background that, uh, that I think that's pretty interesting, a, a background that probably not many of us have ever experienced. And they talk about that on this podcast. And so I guess, Rodney, Tony, whichever one who wants to start, can just kind of give us some background on, you know, where you guys came up, where you guys are from, and, and kind of how did you get to where you are now and, and in between. Well, I'll start. Uh, I'm, I'm Rodney Newton, and I'm the younger brother of Tony Newton by 10 years. And we are from right here, Owensboro, Kentucky, born and raised. And the way that this whole idea of the podcast came up is my brother here had spent a considerable portion of his life incarcerated in Kentucky prisons. So I grew up, all of our family photos are kind of in front of the same wall. The only thing changing in those photos are the vending machines uh, in the background. And I would hear these stories from him as I was coming up, and I thought, that's definitely something that people don't get every day. First-hand accounts of what it was like incarcerated in Kentucky prisons throughout the uh, 80s and the 90s. So I thought it would be a good idea to tell those stories. But what really punctuated that was the person that he is today. Um, the person that he is today is someone who is serious about his recovery and serious about not going back into those situations so we really found that throughout the first season, our podcast really veered more from uh, the stories, which we never tried to glorify those stories, but it veered more from just the stories to where he is today in his life and in his recovery. Um, and that's kind of, you know, you can kind yeah, of pick it up. Yeah, uh, I uh, didn't want the podcast to seem like I was glorifying uh, any any. Any of the scenarios that I, I talk about on the podcast, because uh, ultimately I, I want to help somebody along the way to uh, not have to go through what I've been through. And uh, that was the uh, whole point of uh, the podcast, in my mind, it was, was to help somebody. And uh, the way it was going, uh, we hadn't uh, touched it enough on, on the recovery side of uh, my life to uh, appease me. In, 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 in that direction of uh, uh, where I wanted to go with the podcast. So Now, where, whereabouts did you guys grow up here in Owensboro? West End. The, the West End on Pembroke. Okay. <laughs> That's kind of where we're well, from. I, I, grew up, I grew up on McFarland Avenue. Okay. You know, so, um, and I had an aunt who uh, 
who lived on Pembroke. And so I, I'm quite familiar with, I had friends who lived on Pembroke. So, um, so, you know, that area of town, you know, McFarland, it wasn't a great part whenever I lived on there. So I'm sure it hasn't changed and maybe, you know, maybe getting a little shadier oh, since it, I've even left there. Well, it, it was a lot worse back in, you know, whenever we were coming up, it was a lot worse back then. What well, you know, society in general was different about yeah, you know, how things worked and how we raised our kids and the things that, you know, we valued and found important. Um, so really back then it was kind of, I look at it in my lifetime, uh, it's kind of a lawless time really with uh, the way the kids ran the streets back then to all hours and, and got into all manner of trouble. And that's kind of, I think, how he got sucked into that. Yeah, we uh, uh, was raised by our mother and uh, she worked a lot and I run the streets a lot. So... That's where uh, my story begins uh, on Pembroke. And, uh, I didn't have much to look forward to. I just run the streets and did what I wanted to do and got in a lot of trouble and uh, landed me in a, I did my first uh, prison stint when I was 17 years old. Uh, I got out and went back when I was 18. So That's actually one of my first memories is um, coming down the stairs and finding the police at the door, and they were there to arrest my brother, take him away. That's, you know, one of my first memories as a kid. So um, so what kind of crimes were you committing back then, Tony? Uh, more along burglaries and uh, joyriding, stealing cars and stuff, stuff that uh, young kids do at that age. It's running the streets like I was uh, for no particular reason, just uh, maybe to get some drugs and alcohol. Uh, Marijuana and alcohol to uh, to party with. Uh, that was the main objective there. Uh, yeah. So, and so, when did you start seeing it it, it escalate uh, beyond? I mean, was it more that you're becoming more of a persistent kind of thing, or did you escalate in the types of crimes? Well, as uh, uh, I began doing time. Uh, I was around a lot of older gentlemen in there, and uh, I listened to them, and I let it uh, uh, affect my way of thinking. And uh, I uh, got out, and uh, well, I did it like five years, and then uh, I got out, and uh, out of nowhere, well, uh, a couple of my friends, actually, they uh, they robbed a drugstore in Barstown and come to Owensboro to party with me. Hmm. I was like 23 years old then, and... Uh, they, uh, How old are you now? I'm uh, 55. Okay. And uh, I, uh, like I said, they robbed a drugstore in Barstown, come to Owensboro to just a party. And uh, a young woman uh, was over at 11th Street, on 11th Street in the West End. And uh, we was in my brother's house. He was out of town. We wasn't supposed to be there. And uh, this young lady, 19 years old, she never woke up. So. Hmm. They, uh, the guys that, uh, they said that they supplied her with the drugs that, uh, that ultimately uh, took her life, uh, which was all an accident. She, uh, she mixed a bunch of drugs that she wasn't, uh, she wasn't used to doing and, uh, she, she, she died. You know, we tried to take her to the hospital the next morning and my, my friends ended up getting a hundred years of peace out of that situation. And then, uh, then, uh, from there, from there, I don't know what happened. I, uh. Went in a store and on Carter Road in a convenience store and just 
fired some shots, shot a bag of flour, and made the owner open, forced the owner to open the safe, and uh, had been up all night partying and uh, just a spur of the moment thing. Went in there and uh, seen the guy getting the safe, and just went in there right behind him. And uh, I couldn't believe. Today I look back on that and I can't believe I did that. I don't even know why I did that. What would make me do something like that? But uh, uh, I did it, and that was the beginning of it. So that so that was a little I mean armed robbery what we're talking about here yeah 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 I, uh, uh, went to a jury trial and uh, uh, they had me for a persistent felony offender mm-hmm. and uh, ultimately give me a life sentence for uh, for the armed robbery at the store so a twenty year to life sentence essentially is what is what they gave you yeah yeah they give me uh, they give me a life sentence and. Uh, so, 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 Rodney, what what were you doing during during this time? I mean, what, did you ever interact with your brother? I mean, did you see him? I mean, did you ever try to talk some sense into him? I was a little young to be talking sense <laughs> into anybody. Uh, I didn't really have a lot of uh, guidance. You know, like you know, like he alluded to earlier, we were raised by a single parent. She did the best that she could at the time that she knew what to do, but there was a lot of you know, instances of where being left alone, uh, being, uh, up to my own devices, and I kind of started getting into trouble myself. But luckily, I think seeing my brother, and we had a middle brother who's now deceased, seeing them and the things that they got into and all the trouble that surrounded it, I never really wanted that. And, I, you know, a lot of people today probably would say that I'm really lucky. Because I didn't want any of that, I stayed away from that. I kind of stayed away from that type of crime and that kind of lifestyle. I still did a lot of things like kids do that you probably shouldn't be doing, but I survived it and kind of grew out of it and just started a life, you know, a normal, boring life, going to work and getting married and having kids. And our real interactions through the years were the visits, the five, six times a year. We would go visit him in prison. There's a lot of instances of visiting in prison that it still wasn't like visiting my brother in prison. It was like visiting, you know, someone, just someone that I knew because we both grew in such different directions based on our environment. So my environment uh, being on the outside was totally different than his environment on the inside. So his logic to me was always off, if that makes any sense. Whenever we'd have conversations, I couldn't identify with him. I, I couldn't relate to him. So I didn't really feel like we were that close. And we really didn't start getting close until he got out in 2000. That's when we really started uh, trying to make a bond with this relationship and be brothers. And you know, we've had our ups and downs since then. But really, part of the idea of the podcast too was to get to know each other and maybe make up for all that time that we lost now that we are adults and we're both in different places uh, mentally. So maybe we can make up for all that and get to know each other the way brothers are supposed to know each other. So we're we're working on it. It's day to day. So, so um, Tony, what prison were you in? Uh, I was in basically all the, all the uh, medium security and uh, maximum security I did uh, spent most of my time of, of incarceration in a uh, in a uh, Kentucky State Penitentiary in Eddyville. In the uh, I did half the 80s and all the 90s in there. Uh, 
So, so yeah, Eddieville is no joke. I mean, it's maximum security, right? I mean, if death row, I mean, that's yeah, where it's yeah, at. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm, I've got a I've got a cousin who is in the minimum security there, um, there in Lagrange, and just visiting him, you know, it, it's it's something else. So I you know I guess me trying to imagine going to Eddieville and trying to picture what that's like um you know he and he talks about you know they don't put up with any stuff there at that you know and right. but but at, at at Eddieville I mean whatever you whatever you feel comfortable talking about I mean what kind of life I mean where did you you know did you live there and well I think first tell him how you got to Eddieville I mean you were you were a kid still whenever you got to Eddieville well, I was 21 years old when I got to Eddieville we had a uh uh Hang on. A, uh, we'll just start this in a second. Go ahead. We had a riot at uh, North Point. So uh, when was this? Uh, I mean, uh, this, was, this was back in this was 1984. Uh, okay. And you were and you were how old then? I was 21 years old, at, and I was at North Point Training Center, and uh, uh, we ended up uh, actually uh, uh, some guys had jumped on a friend of mine uh, that was. Uh, they jumped. They was jumping guys all over. You know what I'm saying? He's, he's some black gentleman from Lexington. They was jumping on guys. Just it didn't matter who it was. You know what I'm saying? They uh, was just beating guys up and hurting them just because they could. You know. And uh, so we decided we was gonna retaliate. And uh, ended up being a full scale riot. And uh, they uh, ultimately I got sent to uh, Eddieville behind that and uh, did a stint in the. Uh, in the segregation unit there, uh, come through the door straight to the segregation unit. And, uh, that's uh, uh, the beginning of uh, my time at Eddieville was uh, in the lockup unit. And so how many years did you actually spend in Eddieville? Uh, probably close to uh, uh, 20 years. Wow. And <clears throat> see, like my cousin tells me it becomes its own, like, um, like almost just like own community like he pays somebody to do his laundry you know or else his laundry gets thrown in with everybody else's and you, and you got to figure it out uh, where he pays you know so all these people you know have these jobs that they do exactly. um, so can you i mean can you talk about the difference between the time you spent in eddieville versus even the minimum security and, and what somebody might have to deal with right uh the uh like at Eddieville, uh, the, pretty much the uh, the inmates. I don't know if it's still like that. It's been a while since I've been there, and uh, but uh, used to they they pretty much ran everything on the yard. You know, depending on what you got to eat out of the kitchen, uh, you could get extra food uh, for cigarettes, or you could get you get uh, your laundry man do your laundry. I mean, it was a pretty tough place, and I was there back in the eighties. The, the warden, I heard him say on a lockup uh, episode that uh, it was one of the bloodiest prisons in the nation, and uh, I believe it really was. I mean, I was su subjected myself to a whole lot of stuff in there t to the point to where I had nightmares. I'd seen so much stuff. Uh, in 88, we uh, the, they called it the Great Escape of 88. Uh, I was one of the gentlemen there that, tried to, that uh, was caught uh, trying to escape down there. I, uh, it was uh, called the Great Escape because... The, the number of people that got out and what happened when they did get out. Yeah, yeah. Well, we got actually got caught in the kitchen uh, like a couple, like nine days before this, me and two more gentlemen was uh, caught in the kitchen with all this, uh, 
all these tools, uh, grinders and sledgehammers. We had locked ourselves in the kitchen and uh, tried to saw out the, the, the bars and go out the wall. And nine days later, uh, uh, the escape took place in 88 where uh, eight guys got actually got out the window over there and uh, uh, they uh, end up in uh, on death row. Three of them did uh, on death row due to the escape. Well, they actually made it all the way to Mexico and the uh, feds went over there and uh, brought them back into El Paso, Texas where they was ultimately took to uh, Tennessee where they was faced uh, with murder charges and uh, they uh, they end up on death row. In Tennessee. So how did you, uh, I guess, when and how were, were you in there, you know, trying to escape? Was it like in the middle of the night you were trying to pull this off? Or? Uh, well, they, uh, uh, we had uh, hacksaw blades, and uh, we uh, cut, the, cut the bottoms of the, the tracks off the doors to where they would uh, lift up and down like, like a garage door. And uh, we could go in and out of our cells anytime we wanted to. And they, uh, a guy had a... Uh, they would put these towels over the window, uh, these walk guys that would uh, feed and clean the walk and stuff like that, and then they'd, they'd get a shower where everybody else was locked in, and they'd hang their towels over this window. And at nighttime, uh, uh, the officer would come by on the, on, the, on, the, on the midnight shift, and he would look one time behind the, behind the uh, towel to make sure, you know what I'm saying, everything was good there. And... Uh, after that, he never looked behind the towel, and uh, there'd be a guy that he'd have a dummy in his bed, and he'd be up in the window sawing the bars at nighttime. So it was—it was—I couldn't believe it was going on. It was something that you'd uh, read in a book, or. Well, it sounds like you know that Clint Eastwood movie, you know, the Escape from Alcatraz, which I guess is a true, based on a true story. But, right. <laughs> um, so, I mean, did you not think you were ever going to get out? Is that why you're trying to escape? Uh, well. Uh, I had like eight years to the pro board back then. I was, uh, I think I was 23 years old with a life sentence. That's, uh, that seems like forever to me. You know, I don't want to, I don't, I didn't know if I was going to get out or not. I, uh, from one day to the next, you didn't know what was going to happen in there. Uh, so I, yeah, I really didn't know if I'd get out or not again. So yeah, if I, if I had an opportunity to escape, I, I would try. That and, was my mindset. And, and then, uh, that added how many years to your sentence? Uh, well, I got caught. The uh, the attempt to escape from the from the kitchen actually, uh, I don't know if it was too em so embarrassing to them that they never uh, they okay. just pushed it under the rug or whatever because uh, uh, I never got any more uh, time for that. But I got time. I got two years for the attempt to escape out of uh, uh, the hole from uh, when I was in segregation unit. All the other guys they got. The ones that made it out the window, uh, I think they got an additional 10 years added on their sentence. And you, you, so the whole, how long were you in the the whole, and was this the whole time, the first time you were in Eddyville? Uh, no, this was the second time. The, the first time I was, uh, uh, went straight to the hole uh, from, uh, from uh, North Point due to the right into the hole at Eddyville. Okay. So, um... Um, so when did you get out the first time in Eddyville? Uh, 1986. Okay, and then, and so you were on parole at that time? Yes, I was on parole at that time, and uh, that's when I uh, went back in 1987 for uh, armed robbery. Okay, okay. 
And that was whenever I was in the eighth eighth grade, whenever he came home. So you would think uh, this opportunity for us to get to know each other, you know, be brothers, that kind of thing. No, I seen him like one day. <laughs> he came home for like one day and then uh, he had, you know, he, he was ready to live life. He's a young kid. He, he's got so much that he hasn't been able to do, so many things he hasn't been able to see. So he was gone. And I think that probably exasperated his situation is because he never really had any kind of structure. You know, the, the structure he had was prison structure. And I think, you know, people, we kind of crave structure whenever we don't have it. So he goes out and he's kind of wilding out and he's doing these things. And he ends up, you know, robbing Lee's famous recipe. And that Trying to make life. up for lost time, I said. Right, right. You know? Yeah. So, wow. So you went, so the first time you robbed a convenience store, the second time you went for the chicken place. No. Uh, actually, uh, uh, the chicken place was, uh, I didn't do the chicken place. That was the. Uh, you took the rap for it. Yeah. I, I mean, I, <laughs> I got found guilty for it and got a 20-year sentence, but uh, uh, I'm here to tell you I didn't, I didn't, I didn't even do that. But uh, I was convicted of it, so. How did what? How do they? Con- I mean, why do they think you? Well, did? I actually had a job there working there, and uh, the woman uh, seemed to think that it was me because she uh, said she thought she recognized me, and I tried to to adjust the mask on my face, and it wasn't me, you know. And they they actually uh, and I failed a lie detector test, uh, saying that uh, that uh, I didn't have anything to do with it, so. Because you might have known who did it. Well, yeah, I knew who did it, but yeah. it, it wasn't me. So, <laughs> and, and, uh, and I guess you and, and, uh, and, and I guess you guys are always taught not to rat each other out, and right. that played into it. Right, right. Yeah, you don't you don't tell nobody because it ultimately they could. I mean, I guess it could come back on you or your family if you if you're considered a rat. I mean, I mean that's like, or I mean, I know that's just like street code in, in general, right? The kind the kind of guys I uh, associated with, they don't want to hear. I'm sorry. Uh, I'm sorry, I, I told on you. That's not that's unacceptable. <laughs> yeah. So. Um, well, that's great. So, wh- which uh, wh- which famous recipe uh, were you working at at the time? Uh, the one on uh, uh, two thirty one. Okay. So yeah, I shop over here. I go to this one on Carter, and because uh, they got they got like this great uh, chicken tenders. It's actually kind of, kind of a hidden secret as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> right. Right. I like it better than Kentucky Fried Chicken still to this so, day. I just, I just want to make sure that whenever I go in there, I'm not visualizing some robbery going down here from now on. If it does, it won't be for me. Okay. <laughs> I can assure you that. Okay. Um, so then, so they, they, did they send you back to Eddieville? Yes. I uh, got sent back to Eddieville, and uh, uh, I did, uh, I think, 15 years that time. So during the course of that time, I got in some more trouble in there. Uh, uh, the escape for one, and uh, I was in another riot there at one time, uh, which I didn't play a big part in it, but uh, I was there when it happened. It uh, wasn't no fun for sure. You know, you know, I tell my kids, you know, one of the lessons I tell them you know, whenever they go out and, you know, they need to think about who they're hanging out with. And if cops come in, you know, there's drugs around, you might not be doing it, but that doesn't matter, you know, to the police. I mean, you're right. around it, you're associated with it, you're guilty by association. 
you know, you may get off later on, but at the, at the same time, you're going to still have to you know, jump through some hoops to get out. Right. Oh, yeah, that's and, how it works. Yeah. And, it's trouble you don't need. Right. And so I can imagine a riot, and in, in, even though you might not have played much of a role in it, you're still among it, I guess. Yeah. I was, well, there's an expectation, right? Like in, in the in the riot that happened in the first riot that, that you were in, there's an expectation that your friends are participating. Where are you? Oh yeah, they was uh, they pretty much uh, uh, expected us to participate. Uh, they uh, were shooting tear gas and got another buddy of mine pick it up, throw it back at them. I'm like, man, I'm not picking that up, throwing it back at them. So, um, so then you get out. I mean, well, let me backtrack here. So, Rodney, how many? How often did you go visit your brother while he was? Uh, incarcerated well, we didn't go a lot because we were poor and back then cars weren't like they are now <laughs> you know you really couldn't rely on a vehicle to go from Owensboro to Eddyville uh too many times a year so we didn't go a lot I would say we probably went twice a year we tried to go around Christmas and we would try to go around you know maybe a Easter holiday or something like that just so he would have some semblance of a family some attachment with family um and being a kid too I didn't really take advantage of those times uh whenever i went to do any type of family thing i just was kind of hanging out you know along for the ride that kind of thing i was more interested probably in everybody else that was in the room hmm. what are they in here for i remember asking that question a lot what's that guy in here for yeah uh, i <laughs> don't he didn't know like, he didn't like to talk about it he just he's like you don't talk about people's charges so tony did you have to i mean what did you have to do to kind of i mean 15 years and a, a maximum security i mean did you have to pick up, I mean, how did you protect yourself and how did, you know, what, did you pick up any jobs? I mean, what, I mean, I, uh, uh, the, I mean, how do you survive in an environment like that? The party didn't stop there for me. I, I kid you not. Uh, uh, I spent a majority of my time, uh, unfortunately smuggling drugs and, uh, uh, living off the land, so to speak, uh, while incarcerated. Uh, uh, I did drugs when I could, uh, the last, Five years, I went to school. I finally come out of it a little bit and got a couple of trades while I was in there. And uh, but uh, during the, uh, the the first ten years of it, I didn't uh, have no uh, uh, means of uh, even trying to do the right thing. Uh, it's an absolute myth to say that prison is about rehabilitation. There's nothing ever rehabilitating about prison. Prison is incarceration. Period. And the whole rehabilitating factor of giving these guys educations. I think in the early days you went through and you got some education in hotel restaurant management. Yeah. Who is going to hire <laughs> a convicted armed robber to run their restaurant and or hotel? Oh. No one. <laughs> no one. So I wouldn't. Yeah, that that's, you know, that's one of the issues is is people assume if you don't know anything about it that well you're supposed to use that time to better yourself and to come out a different person your environment is magnified ten thousand times in there yeah it sounds like you spend most of your time trying to either how to how to i don't know cheat the system that you're in you know whether to smuggle in drugs or or how to break out or you know how to do other criminal activities while you're in there it's what it sounds like to my me. mindset was totally totally not not right I mean, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't seem to see no end to it, and uh, so I did what I wanted to do in there. So in 2000, you got you got paroled, right? Okay, and then you went, and then you went back home. 
Yeah, I come back here to, uh, to Owensboro, and uh, uh, I made it out a couple years, and I uh, went back for uh, for uh, drug use, for uh, specifically methamphetamine. Which I, was kind of uh, all the rage in 2000. Yeah, you know? right, right. I come home, and that seemed, seemed to be what everybody was doing. And, uh, I actually got a job for a while, and uh, it seemed to seem to me like everybody I knew was doing meth. And uh, before long, I know seven or eight months, I was doing it right with them. So were you mainly a, a, a user, or did you did you start producing it? Or no, I never did uh, produce any of it. Uh, I always told myself I can't, I can't do that. I can't uh, stand it. I can't get caught doing something like that because uh, uh, I was afraid I'd never get out again if I did. So I never. I, I was just a, strictly a user. So you got. So you got. You got pinched for I guess having it on you at some point. <clears throat> no, I got pinched for. Uh, uh, dirty urines through uh, probation and parole, mm. and, uh, and then I just just didn't uh, I stop stop reporting after the last time, uh, which didn't didn't go nowhere. But uh, basically, it was dirty urines. I went back, did uh, thirty nine more months. So you mentioned the job. What what were you doing at your job that you had? I worked at Fields. Okay. Actually, I worked there for uh, uh, probably eighteen months. And how was life then? I mean, did it seem like you were getting your life together, or, or were you still kind of in that incarcerated mindset? I was in that incarcerated mindset. Uh, and, and Rodney, you you mentioned things you wouldn't notice as your brother came home. Talk about that. Yeah, a lot of the things that I noticed was uh, he was still in prison in his mind, and that's you know anywhere that you're going to spend any great deal of time is going to have an effect on you, and that's that's what happened. So. Whenever we came home, uh, the family's there, everybody's, it was a little much, I think. Um, he, he really wasn't used to that kind of attention. So he spent a lot of time in his room, and he would come to the doorway of his room to speak to us. And in my mind, and I don't know if that's, you know, if this is actually the case or if it's just the way I perceived it, but the way I perceived it was, you know, he was still in that cell. That room was his cell, so he would kind of come to the doorway, and he would he would talk to us and then kind of retreat back into his room. Mm. And that's and one of the things that I want to uh, make clear is as I get older and understand things and understand the, the way that trauma has an effect on us, um, we're talking about a kid. You know, he, he was doing drugs at an early age. That's going to stunt your growth. He saw a lot of really violent things at an early age. That's going to stunt your growth. That's going to put you in that place forever until you get that help that you need to get out of it. So whenever he says he worked at Fields for over a year, at the time, that's probably the longest time you'd ever held a job uh, yeah, the on the outside. And he's already an adult by that point, you know. It's things that we take for granted. But the fact that he could even hold a job that long, considering where he came from and the things that had happened to him, was pretty remarkable. Mm -hmm. So the fact that he got back into drugs, we should have seen that coming. We should have been able to help him deal with the things that he had seen to help him become more like the life that we've led. Yes. Free yeah. of that kind of trauma and that tragedy. I didn't even realize I was doing this, this kind of thing, uh, standing in the door. and I guess it was just something I did close every talking. day for, for yeah. many years. And so Yeah, one of the things he would do is he would lean in real close to you to talk to you, like, you know, like we were standing on the yard and he didn't want anybody else to hear it, you know? So he'd lean in and he would kind of whisper to you. <laughs> he, didn't, he didn't, like, wear a sock cap or something around the house, did he? <laughs> no. I don't remember that. But. Okay. 
I wouldn't doubt it. <laughs> so, so Rodney, you you went in. You spent how many? Whenever you got pinched for the for the drugs, you went in again for how long? Uh, I went in for uh, thirty nine more months. Oh wow! So uh, over two years then. Yeah. So where where'd you spend that time? Uh, I spent it at uh Eastern and uh Green River. Okay. And. Was that any easier at all than than? Uh, I actually did another year in a hole at Eastern. As soon as I got there, I got busted with drugs. And what what is the hole actually like? It's a little segregation unit where you uh, do uh, twenty three hours a day, and you get out for an, for an hour to walk in front of the cells for your so called recreation. Mm. But there's no outside. No, no outside. Yeah. And 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 what are your what are your thoughts? I mean, what do you think about? It? I mean, I mean, how do you mentally cope with that? Uh, a whole lot of reading. Uh, I just did a whole lot of reading and uh, a lot of daydreaming, praying, reading. God got me through a lot that uh, a lot of people, I don't think, could have could have got through. Uh, I prayed a lot and uh, exercised and try to try to read some books or read the Bible or whatever, whatever, whatever I could get to read, I'd read. Yeah. And that's what I want to get into in this in this second part that we'll do is kind of how you turn things around and, and where you are now. And that was part one of my discussion with Tony and Rodney Newton. Join us for part two as I talk with Tony about where he is today in his recovery and how the brothers are still reconnecting after all these years. And that will wrap up our show for this week. I want to thank Rodney and Tony Newton for joining me. To send us questions or provide feedback, email us at newscast at messenger-inquire.com. Remember, you can find us on the Messenger Inquire's website, Facebook, and iTunes, where you can subscribe to Inquire. Until next time, I'm Don Wilkinson. Good day for Inquire. <laughs>